Our next speaker is Mr. Mick Wallace. Madness. madness. This is madness. We cannot fix a problem caused by capitalism with more capitalism. They hurt the people. I ended up at the end of a gun on three occasions. I don't well to survive anyway. Madame Daly will speak. A union which allows fiscal rules to be broken for arms expenditure, not for housing or to put roofs over the heads of people. This is evidence of police violence. Whether you're an economic migrant or you're an asylum seeker, nobody deserves to be treated like this. And even having the neck to suggest separating people from their mothers. How dare you? Hello, benvenuti. This is I foresee trouble with Daly and Wallace. We're in Strasbourg. And um, in trouble again. Oh, big I've, trouble, I've, big trouble. I've, I, I always foresee lots of trouble. Oh, God. Well, look, it's a very appropriately named podcast because uh, the two of you get into an absolute bit of trouble anyway. No, and, and rumors that we actually look for trouble are actually, there's no evidence of that. None. Mm, and what is true is that the troublemakers are actually getting larger now because more and more people are coming over to our view here in the Parliament. The dark side, is Controversial issues. We're, so, we're, yeah. we're, we're still struggling to win over oh, Irish are. media, though. Oh, yeah. well, now, that's <laughs> we're a not holding out much hope. you were the Irish media sweethearts. We actually have I a know, situation where 17% of the Parliament didn't support the lunatic resolution calling Russia a state sponsor of terrorism. So that was the big thing of the week, basically. So you might have seen there was a debate last session and there was a big vote um, that everyone was buzzing about about uh, let's uh, recognizing the Russian Federation as a state sponsor of terrorism now Claire you spoke about this in the last session you make you also spoke about it and you did an explanation of vote just tell us about what this resolution was actually saying and what was the context as well look this is just lunatic stuff and it actually really presents the parliament as quite extremist at this stage. There's no such thing as state sponsor of terrorism in European law. Now, there actually is in US law, but even the Biden administration have said, we're not going into that place because, you know, you don't negotiate with terrorists. And if that definition was to be applied, it would make the prospect of peace negotiations more difficult. So even the pro-war Biden administration who've been backing this war to the hill say this is a lunatic thing to do not so the European Parliament they think this is brilliant and they even got up last night and a fella said this has got a result because as a result of doing this we've had an impact and he then claimed that the impact was a cyber attack on the European Parliament's website and that the Russians responded by going in hard on Ukraine so if that's the impact that your vote has had, how the hell is that something to celebrate? It actually Stand proves the point that you're escalating tensions and you're not bringing about uh, peace at all. These people are lunatics. They've lost the plot. Yeah, I mean, when you have Biden arguing that uh, re- going to this place of recognising Russia as a state sponsor of terrorism, when you have Biden saying that this could impact on future efforts to negotiate a peace deal, he doesn't want peace at the moment, but he will at some stage. And uh, there'll be peace uh, when the Americans want it. Mm. Um, but even Biden is saying, now this is ludicrous to do this. But and but really, we've kind of, we've, we've seen already over the months last since the war started that there's the, so many people in the European Parliament, so many of the MEPs, do not want peace. And this uh, resolution, 
on Russia yesterday is a vote for no peace, a vote for continuing the war, and a vote for further isolating Russia. Now, the European... So instead of pursuing peace and looking for an end to the war, uh, a war that's killing tens of thousands, decimating European industry and jobs, and is creating soaring inflation, as the people at home are well aware of, and a huge co- uh, increase in the cost of living, right? And so instead of uh, any efforts at diplomacy, uh, we're voting just to call Russian names and uh, excluding prospects of peace. It is brain-dead stuff. Mm-hmm. And we have the usual crack at home, for example. Uh, we're, we're, uh, we're being uh, attacked for voting on this. Uh, no... Uh, Serious research into what we're even voting on. They didn't look at the other votes. I mean, you wouldn't be well. Mm. I mean, the Irish media is pathetic at mm. this stage. Nothing short of pathetic. They're lazy. They don't do their homework. And uh, they just engage in jingoism. And uh, they're happy to support US imperialism. And they're happy to support the US-NATO proxy war in Ukraine morning, noon and night. And rationality, uh, there's no space for it. And there's no space for dissent from th- that argument. You're a Putin puppet if you dissent from it. Well, the, the proof of that as well is the fact that the, the S&D, which is the second biggest group in the parliament, didn't support this idea as well of it going on to the, re- the agenda of this uh, state sponsor of terrorism. The Greens didn't want this. They even put down amendments to change the whole meaning of the resolution. And in the end of the day, they all still buckled and voted in favour of this, like, stupid resolution, basically. It has no legal uh, consequences in European law. The Commission and the Council are going to look at this and say, what the hell is the European Parliament doing talking about something that has nothing to do with our classifications of countries? It's literally trying to be the United States and have this weird little list, which we spoke about, actually, that time when we had our podcast on Cuba, about how arbitrary and instrumentalised that is even in the U.S., so I don't know the, the whole thing is a joke so yeah and I mean obviously there's there's 13 Irish MEPs uh, one didn't turn up this week uh, and 10 voted for this crazy resolution uh, so they, the media leave them at home leave them alone for the weekend and only the two of us voted against it I think it is interesting that actually quite a few okay in the overall scale of things not a majority but quite a number of Social Democrat MEPs did change their votes and did vote against and see that through. And that's not unimportant. And it does, it is disappointing that the media haven't analysed this and haven't sort of said, what is the European Parliament at? Precisely because the Commission and the Council are going to just throw this in the bin. It has no status. It's going to go nowhere. So why aren't they discussing that rather than just elevating it as if it's something credible? Uh, it really is very unfortunate. And it wasn't the only issue whereby the Parliament clashed with the, the Commission this week and sort of took an extremist view. And is it any wonder that the people of Europe are disconnected from these institutions? Oh, I mean, this place is, is, this, this, this place is a madhouse. Mm. Well, let's listen to some of the other stuff that we had this week. You can pick your, your choice here. Now, we had a debate on the situation in Libya. We had a debate and resolution on Qatar and uh, the World Cup. We had uh, security in the Middle East, promoting peace and security. We had, uh, God, what else? China, EU-China relations. Go on, have your pick. What do you want to talk about there? Oh, God, where would you start? Um, 
it's just so depressing. Like it's, it's just the arrogance of them all in all of these things. And there was such an avalanche of them this time because there's so many. I mean, the Middle East title of the promoting the European Union, promoting stability in the Middle East. For Christ's sake, like this, the Europe has destabilized the Middle East for feckin' generations. Like, you know, and then we're going, no, and I wonder how we can promote stability here. Well, God almighty, it's just so frustrating. All yeah, of it. I mean... Um, where's the research into what's happened in Eastern Europe uh, over the last 20 years? How the EU has supported uh, NATO moving eastwards and destabilising the whole region. It's not in Europe's interest to be destabilising places like Belarus uh, and Ukraine and Georgia. And that's what they've been doing because NATO have pushed eastwards. Okay, the other thing is there was a resolution on Egypt, the human rights situation in Egypt. Uh, This is basically following on from what what happened at COP27 when the European Parliament delegation met with some people who've been harassed and intimidated by the authorities in Egypt. Uh, Mick, you spoke on that on behalf of the group. What was your main point around that? Yeah, look, obviously, uh, I I had been to Egypt and um, so... Um, we listened to the human rights activists um, and you were there yourself yeah. uh, at the time um, at the COP and it was it was tough going now listening to them right the stories they told us about what was happening around human rights issues and uh, what was being done to anyone who challenged the mainstream narrative uh, of the CC government. I mean, CC, it's a dictatorship. Uh, uh, the EU doesn't seem to have any problem supporting them and working with them. Uh, neither of the US, obviously. The US are still giving them uh, 1.3 billion euros, dollars worth of arms free every year uh, for doing business with them. And no one has a problem uh, with the way CC carries on. But people should understand that there's 65,000 political prisoners unjustly detained in Egypt. And we were highlighting the case of one in particular, uh, a guy called Ala Abdad al-Fatah. He's actually um, half Egyptian, half British. And he had to spend uh, just over nine years in prison now at this stage. And his only crime is, he's a journalist, obviously, right? And uh, he's a human rights activist. And he's been pointing out... uh, problems with the Sisi regime and uh, he's uh, in prison now a long time he's been on hunger strike and they started force feeding him there because he was getting very weak um, but uh, we were just we were calling on the EU to actually uh, acknowledge the fact that all is not well if you have 65,000 people in prison uh, for uh expressing their view around uh, the government, then that's not good. Um, So, obviously, uh, we were looking for the the EU to call on the member states to stop the flow of arms to Egypt because there's several EU member states selling arms to Egypt. And if they're serious about human rights, if they actually really care about human rights and human rights are being severely abused in Egypt, then you'd stop selling arms to these boys. Mm. 
I mean, the only reason it was on the agenda was because of the COP27 being yeah. there and that the European Union was introduced, if you like, to the realities of life on the ground for ordinary obje- Egyptians. And I think the key point that we'd probably say to people is that people should read the essays of Allah Abdel Fattah because he mm. very much exposes the consequences of these um, double standards. And it's something that people should really look into because of course as well as that we the big other issue that was brought to the fore was Qatar with the World Cup which has dominated the headlines as well where again the whole issue of human rights abuses was very much put centre stage Just on the, on the <coughs> Egypt there as well so like you said the big issue is about arms really the, the cosiness between European member states and their, their big arms deals to this um, government who as you said have clamped down on, on civil society and uh, so the big the big question is, will there be a call on member states to stop selling arms? There's an amendment to this effect um, in this resolution being voted today. Be very interesting to see because actually when we met with these people in in at the COP, they we said what can we do as the European Parliament to help you? And they said try to get a resolution to get some pressure on on our CC. And just remember that when our houses get raided and there's a gun put up to our head, those guns are made in Germany, they're made in France, they're made in Greece, they're made in the Netherlands and Italy. Like th- this is literally sponsorship of what Al-Sisi is doing. So if we're going to take any serious action, we need to be at least... So are you, are, are you saying that we're a state sponsor of terrorism? <laughs> by uh, guns to Egypt? Well, I wouldn't be surprised. Now if you, yeah, well, that I mean, could be a, a, well, but a we, genuine conclusion. We are actually aiding... State yeah. terrorism yeah. by supplying weapons to Egypt. We are aiding state terrorism. Yeah. So we'll be watching that amendment closely. We'll see how the rest of them vote now on, on that. Uh, well, but as you said, Claire Qatar was the other big issue that was added to the agenda. Uh, what do you make of the situation there, Mickey? You've been to all the World Cups bar one. Uh, this is a particularly well, sad one. No, I think. Not all. They started in 1930. Uh, but so I wasn't at that one. The Italians Sorry, won over the last fight. forty years. I've the Italians won in thirty-four. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you, I can tell you who won it every year. <laughs> no problem. But anyway, I've been, I missed one in the last forty years. But um, look at um, the situation in Qatar is terrible. But at the same time, uh, there's been terrible uh, treatment of workers. Over six thousand people died building the stadiums. Uh, workers' rights are horrific in the country. But that wouldn't bother FIFA, who are rotten to the core anyway. Uh, but we have the EU uh, very eager to cozy up to Qatar at the moment as well, because they're actually going to buy a whole lot more liquid natural gas uh, from Qatar b- to replace Russian gas. So they're giving out about how bad Russia are, and we can't buy gas off them. And they're turning to the likes of the Americans and, and the Qataris to buy filthy frack gas uh, in the form of LNG. So, and we're also uh, in the process of uh, providing visa-free short-stay travel for the Qataris. And now you wonder, how did they qualify for such a luxury? Um, uh, but uh, obviously, there's a little bit of uh, to and fro and uh, quo quo. Uh, there's, we want their gas, uh, so we'll be nice to them. So, mm. given out about them, um, um, about their human rights record while continuing to do business with them and uh, it's it's a bit a bit hypocritical 
Yeah, I mean, look, at, I mean, this is FIFA's fault, if you like. They made the decision about 10 years ago and in some ways giving out about now when it's on yeah. is a bit late in the day. There could have been a serious campaign to prevent it taking place there. In the first place, a lot of points were made about the fact that it's been held in the middle of the desert uh, in the searing heat and the environmental cost of dealing with that in terms of air conditioning and all of that is quite uh, astronomical. I mean, Mick made a good intervention in saying that actually there was a lot of hypocrisy about this as well, because many of the states where football events were on have, for example, uh, banned uh, gay relationships and so on are very... uh, um, discriminatory in that regard. Uh, many other countries have had huge violations of human rights, not mm. least uh, the USA with the illegal war in Ar- Afghanistan or in Iraq and so on. I think the difference between this one is that people died directly mm. to build the infrastructure for this and thousands of workers have lost their lives and their mm. families have been left without any compensation just to get the stadiums in place. That does make it even more distasteful than some of the other distasteful, horrible countries that violate human rights uh, out there as well. That is a different. What is concerning, though, is that the European uh, institutions and commission and all this try to make a plan, but they're improving. And it's good that we're dealing with them because they're improving. Now, this is the usual doublespeak with the countries that we want to do business with. When we say they're improving, we basically just turn a blind eye to their abuses, whereas Mm. the other countries who are sort of making improvements or whatever, no, we don't deal with them. They're rogue states or authoritarian regimes. So it's totally geopolitical. And the proof of that pudding is that all of the people who are crying over the World Cup in here the other day and saying, oh, we should boycott and all this kind of thing will come in here in December and will vote to give Qatar and Kuwait visa-free um, access to the European Union. And let's remember, and we're in favour of free movement. We don't think people should have to have visas anywhere. Mm. But the sad part of this is it's not even going to help ordinary Qataris because the population of Qatar, 88% of them aren't Qataris. There's only 320,000 actually Qataris who live in Qatar. So they'll be the only ones who'll be able to travel. And the 2.5 uh, million um, migrant workers will be stuck there, probably being um, you know, slave labour to death uh, in that. And it's interesting that the Commission also have Kuwait in this deal because Kuwait then, and we're legally obliged to take human rights into the equation in these, but Kuwait made things really embarrassing for the European Union last week when the head of the Vice President of the Parliament, head of European Values, was there and they had a mass execution of seven people, including two women and three non-nationals. Bit embarrassing uh, for them. They, he said, Skina said, oh, there has to be consequences. But mm. I can tell you, this deal will be going ahead as well. The, yeah. the EU did not condemn what happened mm. in Kuwait. They regretted it. They regretted it? Mm. They couldn't condemn it? Mm. And uh, the, I mean... Oh, stop. It wouldn't be well. But I mean, on the issue, look at it. It's it's a dangerous game when you start kind of saying, well, we can't play the World Cup there because they behave badly. Well, there's an awful lot of countries behave badly. So it's a dangerous game when you start picking and choosing. Of course, Qatar shouldn't have got the World Cup. It's not a football country. They they bribed their way to getting it. It's a joke. They couldn't even be played in the summer because it's too hot. They've air-conditioned stadiums. Uh, all, there's eight stadiums, and they all fit in South Wexford. It's an <laughs> absolute nonsense, right? There's, uh, there's no beer allowed in the yeah. stadiums. Uh, I'd say it, it's mad expensive. Uh, your, your ordinary football fan uh, can't get to Qatar. Uh, 
uh, even if he wanted to go. So uh, there's a whole lot of reasons why the rotten FIFA shouldn't have given it to Qatar. Now I pointed out that okay, if we're going to start picking and choosing though, as to where the World Cup should go, uh, if you look at America, and let's just talk, we won't even talk about uh, we we're always talking about their foreign uh, foreign affairs behaviour and uh, the, the the way U.S. imperialism uh, lays its stamp all over the planet. Uh, but just looking at human rights issues in America alone, right? Uh, I mean, it is it is actually a failed state of systemic racism at the moment. There's police brutality and uh, impunity at, at a massive level. There's the, the extraordinary renditions, extrajudicial detentions, torture of prisoners. There's, they have 25% of all the prisoners in the world in America. No country on earth imprisons as many of their own population as America. And they have them working for uh, near slave labor, producing over $11 billion of goods and services each year. I mean, that is, uh, that's slave labor, right? And uh, we've, yet uh, the World Cup will be in uh, America along with Canada and Mexico in 2026, and uh, no one will be talking about uh, the abuse of human rights in America. Uh, we'll, we'll serve that for others. Yeah, It's just total double standards. And I mean, it's it was particularly gut-wrenching here this week on all of those fronts. And it's ironic when you look at issues like the death penalty, where the Parliament and the EU has a very strong stance on that. But Kuwait actually executes people in the presence of the EU leadership and we don't do anything. And yet there was a special debate on Iran on the agenda because uh, supposedly members of the Iranian parliament threatened to use the death penalty against protesters. So, you know what I mean? I think that sort and of... And uh, round of sanctions on Absolutely that, so, so. unbelievable. OK, let's um, then move on to what was discussed then in Iran. Uh, Mick, you had a minute speech there. What was the commission saying? Well, um, Iran uh, is obviously... Uh, a bit in turmoil of late. Um, there's a lot of problems. There's serious protests going on in the country. A lot of people have been killed. Um, and look at what I when I got my chance to speak on it this week. Uh, I pointed out that yeah, there is there are peaceful protests in Iran, and uh, many Iranians uh, have been unjustly imprisoned and should be released. And uh, far too many have been killed by um, what has been an aggressive crackdown. But there's also there's also been uh, huge violence and murders by some protesters, uh, and there's they've done incredible destruction and damage, and this would not be tolerated by any country. But we're criticising Iran for actually cracking down on violent behaviour, and uh, but we don't have a problem doing it ourselves. I mean. We've 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 plenty of evidence of police brutality all across the European Union and other Western countries, and uh, we don't have a word to say about it. And uh, it was interesting that John Bolton, uh, the the US guy, uh, he confirmed that the Iranian opposition has now been armed with weapons entering Iran from Iraqi Kurdistan. So the reality is that Iran is actually under attack, and I pointed out that. Uh, it, it it reminded me of what happened in Syria, right? And uh, the people uh, who supported the Syrian revolution, they don't say much today about Syria lying in ruins, illegally occupied, sanctioned to debt, 
with millions displaced and hundreds of thousands dead. I mean, is this what they want to turn Iran into? Mm -hmm. Because uh, we should be careful of what we wish for. But uh, the likes of the US and Israel, and sadly with the support of the EU, are undermining Iran's capacity and ability to run their, their country in a normal way. I think the sanctions on Iran are horrific and they're making uh, unnecessary problems for the country to be sustainable. I think, you know, our starting point or my one would certainly be that the Iranian people have every right to protest and it is absolutely reprehensible that there would be the crackdowns that we have seen. That's elementary, really. Um, but I think what we have to say is what is the West doing in this? And nothing that the West is doing in response to this is actually helping the situation for Iranian people. It's actually making the situation worse. So Biden coming in saying we're going to free Iran. Um, that actually puts ordinary citizens in the firing line because what it says to the authorities in Iran is that this is a sort of movement that's been exploited by external forces and I've no doubt that there are some bad actors at play here but overall this is a totally genuine organic movement I don't believe it's a western plot or anything like that but unfortunately the west will try and seize upon it and the authorities in Iran a country that is under existential threat all the time because of the sanctions because of all of the um, western approach to it is going to respond then in a harsher way so we're not helping Iran by ratcheting that up and all of the parliament were saying more sanctions more sanctions but the sanctions have hurt ordinary people and have enabled a situation where there's crackdown so actually what we should be doing is arguing for more negotiation and dialogue not regime change which is what the West is trying to do we should be arguing for a lifting of the sanctions and we should get it into our heads that the Iranian people are struggling to shape their own destiny not as some pawn of the EU in its overall global strategic end and they and they alone have the right to decide their destiny and that's the problem here is that a genuinely organic movement for change led by the people which has been very brutally repressed here is being attempted to be exploited by the West and that will only end in devastation for the people if that continues Allah what happened in uh, uh, Syria and so on. It's just not on, yeah. actually, you know. It's, and, 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 like and that's the, the hallmark of the EU and everything. We saw the same thing in Belarus. Everything else, try and hijack everything for your own geopolitical aims to the detriment of the people who live there. But well, once again as well, I mean, the media campaign on this is really intense. Anti-Iranian, pro-US, pro-Israel. And we had MEPs stand up two weeks ago in the mini plenary in Brussels. And they, they maintained that, that the Iranian government had decided to impose the death penalty on almost 15,000 protesters. It was a total lie. Mm. It wasn't true. Yeah. Right? And that's not helping matters either. Mm. And as Claire says, uh, ratcheting it up and calling for more sanctions. I mean, my God, like, why isn't there some decent media coverage of what sanctions are about? Why isn't there any decent media pointing out that sanctions only hurt the ordinary people? Why aren't the media pointing out that sanctions are illegal unless uh, signed off on by the UN Security Council? And none of these sanctions that we're talking about today are legal. They're illegal. They're against international law. They contravene the UN Charter. Where's the media calling that out? 
Mm, yeah, and like you said, like the the reaction at the start of the session was uh, Roberto Mazzola, the par- European Parliament President, stepping up to the podium and saying we will no longer engage with Iranian authorities. The European Parliament has cut all ties now with Iran- Iranian officials. So we we do have this Iran delegation for some sort of dialogue, but now there's going to be even more isolation. We'll actually be able to say, won't be able to get a message across to them really, mm. except um, through where, resolutions. Where is that move for Israel, where you have loads of people in prison, loads of protesters killed and mown down as well? Oh, that's or a red carpet over there as instead. Well. Uh, they get special deals on everything from the EU. So it's yeah, this so hypocrisy really, you know? Yeah, so the all things are improving in Egypt. All things are improving in Qatar. All, all things are improving in Saudi Arabia. Uh, we turn a blind eye t- to human rights abuses whenever it suits us. We have no credibility because we're not consistent. Mm. Mm. This is modern colonialism again. And we saw it as well in the China discussion, which would be hilarious if it wasn't so serious, um, where basically our biggest and most important trading partner with whom we've so many common issues to sort out given the global climate change challenge and all the other uh, areas ahead of us. The European Parliament, interestingly, unlike the Commission, because Borrell, who we Mm. normally give out about and is normally dreadful, (laughs) actually appeared to be the voice of reason up against the zealots in the European Parliament who wanted to decouple our economy from China. To learn the lessons of our reliance on Russia, we got to cut our links with China. Now, seriously, even the US is saying they are definitely not going that to do that. They don't want a war with China. They recognise a one China, but that's not under the zealots in the European Parliament don't recognise any of that stuff. And the Commission were kind of going, are you actually real, lads, the amount of business that we do with these? We're working with them on issues that they might have on some human rights things and that, but they're our feckin' biggest trading partner. But that was just another example of extremism that didn't get commented at all in the media. Yeah, and I mean, there's a huge factor here as well uh, around uh, the environmental issues, right? And given that China is making stuff for everybody today, I mean, just for example, right? Uh, China is obviously responsible for a lot of emissions now uh, because it's making so much stuff, right? But they're making about 90% of the solar panels for the world. Now, they're the best. They've, 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 they've actually put more into infrastructure themselves than anyone, anyone else. Mm. But they're actually making them for everybody else. So that's obviously adding to their emissions, right? But, I mean, if we're going to deal with the climate crisis, we have to all work together. That's called multilateralism, right? Where we all pull together and in in the interest of the planet, right? Picking fights now with China, it is soul-destroying listening to the MEPs who think that we should have absolutely nothing to do with them despite the fact that they're our biggest trading partner. I mean, can you imagine if we couldn't get goods from China because we don't make most of this stuff, right? Imagine if we couldn't even get it, right? I mean, are these people well, like, I mean, where's the, where's there no thought being going into it? And we're accused of being pro-Chinese because we actually believe in peace. We think Europe should have a good relationship with everybody. Everybody. You should have a good relationship with everybody, right? And you should have a good relationship with China, right? And the Chinese, they want to work with the EU. They respect the EU. And and you and I met them uh, Mm. last week in Egypt, right? It is so obvious that they want peace and they want to work with the whole world. Mm -hmm. It, It is just... It's horrific that, uh, that, that, that so many MEPs 
are behaving like like just like like stupid people. And we should be concentrating on our own problems at home. That's the sad thing. The workers here in Europe who are struggling to try and defend their living standards, the migrants, the thousands and thousands of migrants. And we should just end on the note that there was a really sad event in some ways organised by one of our Spanish colleagues, Miguel, who had an enormous poster that went the whole length of the courtyard with thousands upon thousands of not named, sadly, because they were unnamed, of people like a baby, say six months, Mm. man, 34, pregnant woman, all of them dying on our shores of various causes in various places, a kill list, a horror scene. And there's no talk. That is something we could actually do something about yeah. rather than going around. And in many ways, they're coming to our shores because we were interfering in their countries in the first place. Utterly yeah. tragic. Double standards. OK. OK, we'll, we'll let's up. go with the run for voting. Vote. Yeah, voting now in a few minutes. Bye-bye.